You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast with your hosts, Mira and Peter. We held leadership roles, lived in different countries, and had diverse careers spanning the music industry, online technology companies, and the medical sector. Now, we develop coach and mental leaders, creative professionals, and entrepreneurs who want to regenerate, improve, and transform the world around them, and inspire others to do the same. In each episode, we explore what happens when you tap into your intuition, creativity, and connection with others. We do this through having deep, fun, and insightful conversations with ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. In this episode, Peter speaks to Robert John Hope, an Irish Berlin-based singer-songwriter whose music is rooted in ambient folk and alternative pop rock. In Ireland, he will be known mostly as the man with a distinctive voice and poetic lyrics who fronted the band Seneca, with whom he toured Ireland, the UK and US extensively in the past. They recorded this conversation in the park of the Schloss Schonhausen in Berlin, and at one point in the conversation you will hear Peter mispronouncing the word Schloss, which means castle. I I actually made him leave it in so he can learn to pronounce it better in the future. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as well as I did. Enjoy listening. Hello everyone. I am with Robert John Hope, or Robert Hope as he's known to me, and uh, welcome anyway. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Pete. You're welcome. I know we've been talking about this for a while, but we've both been quite busy, right? Yeah. And uh, for you especially, it's exciting times. And um, what I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, well, first and foremost, Robert has an album out, and um, it's called Plasticine Heart, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a, the title. There is a title track of the album, uh, but yeah, the, the the album overall is called Plasticine Heart. So. And it's been really exciting for me to watch from the outside because Robert's been really productive during the last 15, 16 months, right? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> it's been a busy time in a positive way. Yeah, and I know, I, although we're friends, I'm obviously going to say that Robert's album is really good, but it really is good. I'm pretty impressed. And uh, the quality and to see how you've grown as an artist, I mean, when did we meet? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was like mid 2013. 14, I was would it? Th- I think. Yeah. yeah, after 2014 was when I moved here. So, I, <laughs> I, yeah, we definitely didn't meet before I moved here. So, <laughs> yeah, 2014, I believe. Yeah, so I've had the luxury of seeing Robert quite often in live shows and I've just seen him grow as an artist. So it was interesting to hear some of these tracks on Plasticine Heart because I've been lucky enough to see them live pre-COVID, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, the, the songs have developed over quite a long period of time. And as you know yourself, when making an album, like, well, in the kind of style of music I do, obviously, in an ideal world, you're gigging a song for a long period of time, developing it through gigging it, and then you record it. That's not always the case and wasn't the case with all songs, but... I, I would say probably my favorite tracks on the album, I, I've been gigging them for a while and so they've kind of uh, developed into something that's a little bit more robust and kind of complete than some of the other ones. So yeah, I think you would have heard quite a few of the tracks from the album. Yeah, it was really cool to hear because sometimes when you put the sheen of that production on, it can detract from how organic they are when they're played live. 
but I was super impressed. I mean, wow, well done. Oh, thank you very much. And what I wanted, to, no, you're welcome. What I wanted to ask you, and Mira was reminding me to ask you, Robert, uh, she, she mentioned that, uh, what do you think about artists that get a little bit prickly around people who are, so for people that don't know Robert, Robert's also working full-time as well, which I'm always in awe because I've done that back in the day and uh, it, it's not easy, right? Oh, well, it's like it's challenging, but at the same time, like um, I actually, in many ways, I think it it helps me in what I want to do musically because, like, I, I've been a full-time musician. I, in my entire twenties, I was a full-time musician, and um, like, while it's an it's an amazing life, it it can be a difficult life at the same time. And so, for me personally, I got to the stage where, where you're constantly trying to make a living through music. Sometimes it can take the enjoyment out of actually the creative process and playing music in many respects because you find yourself having to do things within the spectrum of playing music that you would not necessarily enjoy doing. Yeah, that's life, that's part of the job as such. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I find that I'm enjoying music more now than I ever have really before because I'm kind of doing, been, I'm able to do it on my own ter terms without having to, like not, like, uh, not to sound like uh, silly about it, but it's not, I don't have to kind of compromise like doing things that I don't necessarily want to do within music. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a charmed life in, in, in that way, but at, but at the same time, I mean, the alternative is the fact that you, you, like doing that stuff as well, you, it makes you better and so uh, it's a kind of a trade-off for me at the moment in that respect because like obviously playing all the time like six seven nights a week like i used to do previously it makes you a hell of a musician and obviously i don't have that now and so it's kind of a case of having to be more disciplined with rehearsal and practice and sitting down to write and often after a full day of work it's not you're not in the mental health uh, mental uh, headspace of being able to sit down and do a lot of creative work but at the same time if you discipline yourself to saying okay this is the the time i'm spending doing this then yeah i just sit down and get it done <laughs> yeah i know what you're saying that it can often look especially when you've done a full day's work right regardless of whether it's physical or mental you know for me i don't see any difference you know you drained if you put in a good eight hours and then suddenly you have to go in the studio sometimes it can be like oh you know feeling of dread but yeah i mean i'm impressed because you actually just powered through it and the, the difference between yourself and some of the other artists that we've you know interviewed and spoke to during the last 16 months i know that people have suffered you know we've all suffered because it's been a really strange time and as you say not being able to have that freedom of you know honing your skills as a live act because that's what everyone you know needs as an artist right you need to get out and see your crowd and interact with your fans and stuff like that but correct me if I'm wrong for you yes you've had that challenge of working full-time and obviously it's tiring and challenging but it's i would say that's almost made you more productive than maybe if i said to you right you've got a full year go 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 and write your album because sometimes isn't that actually a bit of a jail sentence for artists when they're given too much freedom right well, exactly. Yeah, like I mean, I think we talked about this before. I mean, often when you have nothing to do, you don't get very much done. But like, um, I think one of my favorite sayings is like, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> and so, 
yeah, like uh, I perhaps I don't have the kind of self-discipline that like wh when I have a lot of uh, like time, I tend to procrastinate and not actually make the best use of that time. And so I find that when I'm in the headspace of like I'm working like you know in a disciplined kind of sense, then you actually it's the same comes around when it comes to doing music. You tend to sit down and say, okay, I've got to get this done within this space of time and. Yeah, like the the way I tend to write as well. It's it, it's not this kind of um, lofty kind of um, thing about wandering down and like looking into the forests and getting divine inspiration for my next song. It's for me. It's like yeah, I get ideas obviously through observation and just like seeing things around me. But at the same time, it's for me very much a discipline of sitting down and writing. Because like I'm not going to just write an entire song in my head while I'm walking in a park. It's I have to sit down and actually write it. Like I don't have that talent of somebody who can just like compose an entire thing within their head and not actually uh, like the way I would suggest is a kind of I'm an, I'm very much an empiricist when it comes to kind of music a tri trial and error and just seeing what works, see what doesn't work, and I mean that that's the the less kind of. I mean, uh, artistic ideal way of looking at it, but that's just the way it is for me, and like, there's mm. no way of getting around it. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. We all have different ways of writing and getting in the zone, right? I wanted to ask you. Mira and I were curious as well. This is again Mira reminding me. She said, uh, "How do you see creativity now after the last 16 months? Do you see your approach as an artist different, differently? As you know, is, has there any anything changed in your experience in the last 15, 16 months that's maybe give you a different take on it, or, or are you just doing what you've always been doing and it works? Um, it's changed in that, like." For for all kind of musical artists, obviously the last sixteen months has been a nightmare in terms of just not being able to go out and express yourself in a live setting or whatever. And for me, the writing process has always involved live gigging because, mm -hmm. as I said earlier on, like developing a song for me, playing it live, always for me will send a song in a certain direction. Now I don't always play live the songs that I write and record, but. Um, I find probably the stronger ones I do end up playing live just because, not necessarily just how the audience reacts to it, but just having that tension and nerves and anxiety or something, it kind of focuses the mind in, in, in a way that kind of, you think, okay, maybe I should have done that better. And maybe if you're able to listen back to you playing the song live, you go, oh, so that's why that went that way. And so I go and change that. And so obviously within the last 16 months, yeah, I've been writing a lot, mm. thankfully, but I haven't had the opportunity, unfortunately, to kind of try it out live, you know. Luckily, that's kind of changing now because there's a couple of concerts coming up. And so hopefully that that will change. But I, I would say not, not not a whole lot has changed in that respect for me. And as you said, luckily, uh, like I also have kind of another career which kind of um, made the, the last 16 months less kind of anxiety inducing than it would be for a full-time yeah. artist which I mean my heart goes out to all full-time artists I mean it's been a cruel year you know it's kind of yeah and like I mean things are starting to open up so hopefully kind of life will get semi back to the way it was to a degree and hopefully better you know I mean it's not as if there was wasn't problems before but you know I mean moving forward hopefully kind of uh perspective of what the last year has been will kind of help in terms of the way things are done from now on you know mm. i just want to re rewind back a little bit to what you said because i've been thinking about this a lot and i totally agree that i mean i guess for this album 
for people listening that Roberts has road tested quite well, pretty much all of those live, right? Uh, most, most, most of, of the them, songs, right? yeah. yeah. So some, some of them are, are not very um, conducive to live yeah. <laughs> play either, you know what I mean? If it's something yeah. that's a little bit more experimental or less yeah. kind of... Because uh, I, I play obviously solo a lot and I haven't had the, the, the opportunity to play with the full live band that often, yeah. so certain songs are more difficult mm. to try in that respect. But I know what you're saying about the lack of interaction because it's this lack of human connection we've all lost, you know, artist or not, in the last 15, 16 months. And especially as an artist, you need to be able to get some feedback, you know, is that in the ballpark, you know, and you get a good organic reaction from people you're performing in front of. Mm. So I totally get that because even DJs have been speaking to electronic music, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of genre, everyone's saying the same thing, that they're missing this organic human connection with, with, their, with their audience. And it's really difficult to write music not knowing how people are going to react to it. But then that sounds quite exciting as well because it means you can kind of push the envelope a bit. And then I guess, as you said, luckily now it seems like things are slowly opening up so people can get back on the road and start to test all of these experiments that they've been working on in the basement for the last... Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it kind of also, you have that oh shit moment or whatever is like how do I actually play this live and like <laughs> how do I actually present this in a way that's not me sitting in my room just like twiddling around with the guitar or piano or whatever you know yeah, yeah. but you're also writing another album already so I mean yeah. you're on fire at the moment because <laughs> I speak to people and like you say I know so for some artists it was it was amazing opportunity to put the brakes on and yes they missed touring immensely but they were able to it was a huge call to action just to <clears throat> explore what they could make while waiting you know so correct me if i'm wrong it sounds like they're pre preparing for opportunity mm. and for you you definitely hit the ground running i mean you're already working on the demos is that right for us your second album now yeah exactly uh, next month um, in august i'm like have the amazing opportunity of going into hans studios here in berlin to, to start uh, recording the next album and so currently i'm demoing that material to try and go in as as well prepared as possible but it's you know it's uh, I, it'll be interesting to see how it comes out once you're in answer because obviously it's um it's a special place and so hopefully kind of uh, i'm hoping to go in there and look for something to come out that i didn't expect <laughs> like because if i I've, I have an idea of how i want the songs to sound but i mean the ideal scenario is you go in and they turn out even better than that because i mean you can use all the gear in there or just um, muck around for a while you know and for those that are listening that maybe don't know, Hansa Studio is, it's got such a rich history, right? Yeah. I mean, people like David Bowie, I mean, pretty much every band you have heard of yeah. have done a session in there at some yeah, point. Like Bowie, Iconic Bowie did Low and Heroes in there and like Octung Baby U2 was recorded in there and Depeche Mode did a lot of their great 80s stuff in there as well. So. So yeah, does, it's like an incredible spot, you know. Does that give you a bit more pressure? I mean, I know you've already recorded in there a bit now, so maybe you're feeling a bit more comfortable and it'll, maybe it'll become, you know, uh, like a home venue. Not <laughs> really, it's terrifying. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 no, it's, it, like, I'll go in and it'll be like kind of a child's, like, wide-eyed and um, praying I don't mess it up, you know. But, um, it's, but that, you always have that kind of tension when you're doing, like studio recording and it's uh, it's properly kind of live and you're you'd, like you don't have the kind of comfort of being at home and like, just putting it onto your laptop and like doing it over and over again a million times and stuff like you have to have some sort of preparation done you know so that's what i'm trying to kind of achieve because like at the end of the day i'm like 
I, like I'm still learning. <laughs> like you know, what I mean, I, I, I've been around music for a while, but I'm still kind of an amateur in many respects of it. And so, like going in doing something like this in such a, a iconic studio is obviously terrifying, but in a good way, you know. Yeah, aren't we all? Though, and I love what you're saying there because. You know, knowing you, you are a humble person, which is really cool because you kind of need that through the experience that you've had and you have cut your teeth. You know, you've done thousands of hours of gigs. Like you were saying before, in your early career, you were touring in the US. Mm. Yeah, know. we like yeah, we used to tour across the US all the time, played in well over 40 states and like I would like one tour over 65,000 miles in the van and like playing six, seven nights a week or something. I think at the end of that tour was like six and a half months and 98 gigs. So you've got some like, stories there, right? <laughs> absolutely. But it's, it's just like, I mean, it makes a band out of you, obviously, do you know, but also in America, it's just kind of, I mean, it's, you're working. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, the audiences are like really amazing over there and everything, but it's just, I mean, some nights you'd be playing for hours, <laughs> do you know? Uh, and like, it was all kind of like original material. So it was, I mean, as I think I like said it before, but like, I mean, that at the end of one of those tours, we played, we headlined this festival in Wisconsin out in like the middle of a field somewhere. And it was like, we ended up playing for like four hours straight without a break and just playing all of our own material and did repeat a single song. So that's only possible if you're playing all the time and gigging all the time. You can't do that otherwise, you know, but um, yeah, like there's no chance I could do that. No, I collapse halfway through it. But um, yeah, it's, that's a young man's game, but unless you're Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it, it, it sounds a bit Beatlesque, right? You know, it reminds me of the Beatles, you know, cutting the teeth, playing in venues, playing, you know, long, Hamburg. Yeah, Hamburg, <laughs> right? But that's how you learn. And, you know, you got really comfortable and you know what works and what doesn't. So yeah, you've, you've had a while since you've had a, you know, in-person gig. Mm. I know that, didn't you tell me you did a few, but it was really strange, like in the middle, where there was really no interaction or, you, you know, no one could dance or get near you or... Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I did this thing last... Um... <laughs> For those listening, uh, we're in Berlin. We're in Schoenhausen Palace, which is like a Schloss, which is... Um, a German castle and it's a wonderful place where we're sitting by the river and it was all idyllic and typical Berlin timing kids just went past with a huge boom box on the bikes you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, yeah but uh, like I think what I was saying was that um, yeah right in the middle of the pandemic at the end of August last year I ended up playing um, this uh, kind of outdoor mini festival thing in a car park and it was 38 degrees out it was like Absolutely. Wow. Uh, I'm from the west coast of Ireland. I'm not built for 38 degrees. Uh, like I think in the entire history of where I'm from, it's never gotten even close to that. So um, yeah, like heat radiating off the concrete, and then like looking out and like everybody spread out and these because you know in the early kind of pandemic is like any experimentation with gigs is like I mean people were miles apart from each other and so it was it was kind of a bizarre scenario but it was a lot of fun but that's like that's literally the last gig I've done which was last August so but you take what you can get right exactly yeah yeah I, do, I, do, I don't I don't care what it is as long as it's uh, fun it's and enjoyable practice, right? exactly yeah, yeah yeah and it's like as I always said like a, a, a gig is worth 10 rehearsals for me personally it's yeah. not the same for everybody but I always find that if I'm trying new material, one gig will develop that song far more quickly than if I'm rehearsing ten times over. Mm. You know what I was thinking as well? So for, for those artists who are listening, you know, both young and old, what would you say 
if someone was to ask you, you know, you know, I'm working now, I haven't got the time because, you know, being a creative consultant for me, I mean, I had that excuse. We all did sometimes as artists, right? But I actually found similar to you that I've been never been more productive. You know, I have a company that I'm running full time with Mira and in between the gaps now, I'm starting to write music again. And I feel it, it, it's, I know it's more challenging because you only have a, a set amount of time, but I feel like I'm more productive, but I'm not putting the pressure on myself. But what would you say to people from the outside that are like, yeah, that sounds great, but you know, I'm just swamped. You know, there's no way I'm gonna be able to make music in those few hours that I get. Because that's what you've done. You know, you don't have a lot of time, do you? And that's why I'm so <laughs> impressed because you've been able to write that album quite fluidly. And in fact, you actually got busier in that process, did you not? Because you, you even ended up getting promoted. So you ended up with more responsibility at that time. So it couldn't have actually got easier in terms of time windows and you know no not, not not at all but like i mean i'm not going to pretend that it's <laughs> like it's smooth sailing i mean a lot of the time i'm like yeah you know you're you're wrecked tired and like you just don't feel like picking up a guitar or just like playing the keys or whatever and just trying to do something musical because you don't feel very creative at any particular time but i mean the one thing for me is i'm lucky is that uh, like i'm not under an enormous amount of pressure time wise so i can spend my time and like I'm quite analytical when it comes down to, to, to songwriting and things like that and so like uh, I do once in a while write a full song in one sitting or whatever but it, that's not the majority of cases and so I'll, usually it's I'll write a hook or whatever and I'll come back to the song a day later or two days later and then kind of develop on it and then um, start writing the lyrics developing the vocal melody things like that you know so it, it's kind of it's kind of a long process anyways for me and so um, yeah, like uh, work doesn't affect it too much in that regard. And to, to be honest with you, like the uh, work, the, the normal work that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, I find keeps me quite nimble mentally anyway. Because it's like, as you know, you're, like when you're working full-time job, it's kind of like uh, mentally taxing or whatever. It's it's kind of good as well because it, it keeps you kind of fresh mentally and. Uh, I don't know how, like, it's probably a terrible way of describing it, but, like, at this, it, I think it does. I, I think it's actually, it's helped me in many respects think kind of laterally and outside of the box in, in certain respects. And, and it, it, what it does is it instills a bit of discipline in you as well, because, you know, you have to, if you want to get something done, you have to kind of organize yourself around it. And obviously just that doing the job that I do, that kind of, I think that probably helps me more than I, when I was younger, I was kind of a little bit more feckless or something like that. So it's kind of, I think it's probably disciplined me a little bit more. But obviously, it's you know, it, it it'd be nice to be a full-time musician in some respects and have total freedom. But I don't know if that would be good for me, you know. So <laughs> well, we both had that in the past, and I, and I don't know about you, but it didn't work out so well. Uh, yeah, and and it's 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 annoying because when you're busy, right? you always dream, oh, you know, I'd love to just have more space to do it. And then suddenly you get more space and that's not it either. So again, it, you know, it, it just depends on where you are in your life, right? Exactly. Yeah. What you've experienced to date. And, you know, if you get a window, sometimes you're in, you're in the place to just embrace it and yeah. then, you know, be grateful you've got that space. But yeah, I mean, it's really good that you've had that time to just be able to do what you do and be grateful even though it's not perfect. And I think for people listening, it's not, there's no silver bullet, right? 
you know, you can have a, you know, a year to write an album and then you put all this pressure and then you just procrastinate like hell and do nothing. Or you can work full time and fill in the gaps. And, you know, it, it just, whatever you get, I think what I'm hearing and tell me if I'm wrong, it just sounds like you were just okay with whatever happened and you didn't really overthink it. Because if you did, you wouldn't have actually got all of that shit done. Yeah, possibly. And I think, like, age is a factor as well. I mean, experience and, like, growing older, like, kind of um, focuses the mind a little bit in terms of, okay, I, if I want to get this done, this is what I need to do in order to, to make that happen. Whereas when I was younger, it was a case of, um, oh, let's, whatever, let's just see what goes on, you know? <laughs> um, so, like, I think that's, like, just getting older and kind of... Uh, I'd like to say a little bit wiser, but I don't know if that's the case. But it's it's just, I mean, that, it's best life, do you know what I mean? It's, when you do get older, it's kind of things change, perspectives change. And so, I mean, the way you do things changes. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that kind of answers the question. It makes sense, just getting a bit of mileage. I mean, it, it can't not help, right? And I, I guess it's age aside, it's just cutting your teeth, doing what you really enjoy. And if you're passionate about it and... I don't think I've ever asked you this, Robert, but for me, it's I make music because I really love doing it. And exactly. I stopped making music, as you know, mm. and people have heard this before on other episodes that I just wasn't digging it. And I put so much pressure on myself in the past. The only reason I'm doing it now is for me. And it, and it is selfish, but for me, it's more like self-care. If I didn't do it, I know I'd be a, there's a big part of me missing. I don't really have a choice. How do you see it? Well, 100%, I'm the exact same. Like, I mean, as I say to people, I mean, if I was doing music for money now, then, like, <laughs> that'd be <laughs> the most uh, um, poorly thought out <laughs> like, way like way of going about doing music. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm only, like, if I didn't do music, I'd go crazy. That's just the way I look at it. It's, it's basically my own kind of uh, therapy in many respects. Because, I mean, like, yeah, you can do your job and, like enjoy it which i do i very much do enjoy my my day-to-day -day work but at the same time like music gets you into kind of a different headspace which you mightn't ordinarily have like i mean finish work and then just watch netflix or whatever go for a walk that's fine but like i mean if you can compartmentalize the aspects of your life and then for me my passion is music and so i'm able to kind of set that out as a separate part of my life and then it makes life a lot more interesting. That's like that's the best way I will put it. Like music is just makes life more interesting. You know, I guess yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but um, I, I guess I'm a bit biased in that area. Well, yeah, of course. Well, yeah. it's, it's your passion. I mean, passion or the passion, whether it's like stamp collecting or whatever it is, that doesn't matter. But like what it does is it kind of separates your day to day to for something else. That I mean, kind of makes life worth living in many respects. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah, if I don't do it, then I find I, I tend to get a little down or depressed after a certain period of time, you know, and then I go, hey, what's, what's the case? Well, I haven't written a song in six months, that's why, yeah, <laughs> you know? I can I can really resonate that. If, you know, and that's, I, it's the excitement. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's nothing more exciting and nothing makes me feel better than when I'm on a good track with the song and think, oh, shit, this is amazing, or whatever. It mightn't mm -hmm. be, but, like, at the time, I'm thinking it is, and so that like that gives you kind of motivation to yeah. keep... And it, like, there's no other time, really, where you feel that same kind of exhilaration, for me, anyway, mm. do you know? Yeah, get it. Just got me really reflective now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you get a buzz off it and that's your passion, the more you do it, no no surprise, right? You feel better. I know Mira's always saying to me when I get cranky, go make music. 
I love you, but can you go go in the studio? <laughs> you know, and then I come out and I'm no surprise. I'm super relaxed and I'm excited and I'm talking about this idea. And I wanted to ask you, Robert, your lyrics. There seems to be a lot of deepness in the lyrics that you use. And again, I know that it's very subjective because it, it helps me with me knowing you over the years. But I guess for people that don't know you or, you know, some of your fans, all, you know, it sounds to me like the lyrics that you come up with, there's a lot of, you know, life lessons, some of the history. And, and I guess that's even therapeutic in itself, right? Yeah, like well, when it comes to lyric writing, is like I think I, I use a lot of allegory, and kind of the way I approach it is quite allegorical. But like, um, yeah, like, I mean, lyrics are all about observation. But at the same time, I mean, I think I'm quite different to a lot of songwriters in that I prefer, I rather write the music and the basic structure of the song before I start writing the lyrics, which I know is is the opposite of say Elton John and like some other people. Um, but what I find actually, I like having that kind of um, restriction because like if you could it, for me if I sit down and write lyrics I write a poem that has no kind of um, like structure to it or kind of rhythmic value in many respects like it might do in my head but then when it comes to writing the song over it that might not be the case and so I mean I approach it in the way of like say like I like uh, of say perhaps a sonnet where a so like say a, a, a sonnet has a particular structure like with rhyming couplets and all like where it's like basically the work that you do within the structure of a sonnet is you have to work within the framework of those rules and so that for me is how I write like songs I already have the music and the rhythm and like how I how I see it going and even an idea a vocal idea in my head and so I write the lyrics within the confines of that that might not some people might think that's a terrible way of doing it, but for me, what that means is that I've set myself certain rules about um, what I can write within those spaces. And so the challenge is, the difficult challenge is writing something that's thematically relevant and like good, obviously, within those that, that kind of restrictive structure. But I think that that works really, really well, because then you like you you don't you're not writing, you're not waffling um, for its own sake, it just kind of um, going off in tangents. It's kind of like when you have to when you have to write within a framework. I think for me that helps, and actually I find it it's kind of it's almost more liberating than if I've just got an open like blank canvas to kind of just spew out a bunch of nonsense in my head. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense as a structure that, and you know, you, you've got to go with whatever works for you, right? Because I know that when we were younger as artists, everyone's got their own idea and they try and enforce that, you know, innocently and quite lovingly in so many ways. But, you know, you need to write like this or you need to start, as you say, this way with the lyrics first. But again, you just have to find your own way. And I guess that's what you did through trial and error, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Nobody nobody should work this <laughs> the same way. Or, I mean, you can be influenced by understanding how other people do things. But I mean, everybody has their own way of doing things at the end of the day. And that's the way it should be. Because, I mean, I can't tell another musician or songwriter the best way to work because that might the way I work could be absolutely awful for them do you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's and I mean you, there's no kind of preconceptions about how things should be done that's like I mean you can learn songwriting obviously like I mean you can take courses and do it and like some of them would be amazing and mm. help people a lot but for me it's just as you say like as I said before like I'm kind of an empiricist when it comes to these things it's just trial and error like do it what works what doesn't work and like over the years, I've just developed my style, and I think I'm 
at a place now where I'm more comfortable writing songs than I ever have been before, because I kind of I I understand where I wanted to go from the beginning, and yeah, it's not always going to get there, but that's the challenge. If it was easy, to be, it, where's the fun in that? You know. <laughs> well, not. I mean. Yeah, sometimes it's fluid and things just pop out really quick, right? And other times, as you say, it, it requires stru uh, structure, discipline. It is know. a struggle. It's supposed yeah. to be a struggle. Yeah. And actually, well, that and it kind of goes back to the point of like, I, I did find myself in a period where, like, obviously the work thing was kind of taken over a little bit and whatever. Mm. And then, like, you're a little bit too comfortable. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> I mean, being really, really comfortable doesn't help when it kind of comes to, to yeah. the creative process as well. But like at the same time, then you kind of snap yourself out of it and go, oh, like, I mean, if I want to make something good, I mean, you need to get out of that kind of headspace, do you know what I mean? And like switch off the TV or whatever. I, mean, I know, you know what you're saying. I mean, no change is comfortable, but that's what humans are great at. We just forget that. Mm. So yeah, it feels a bit uncomfortable and, you know, there's a bit of friction, but it's, it's in that friction that suddenly something just emerges and you're like wow okay I'm, I'm grateful that i went through that bit of you know pain threshold to get there right? yeah yeah well like i've had songs that are like an enormous struggle to finish and like that's i've got like dozens and dozens of songs that are just kind of parts parts of songs that i'm really like and some of them are almost i've struggled enormously to actually finish them but that's i mean that's where the it comes out and it's worthwhile like i mean if you can spend a lot of time on one particular song and then by the time it finishes, you think, okay, this is really, really good. Then that's even better because you've been working on it for such a long period of time. But it's actually, you're still, it still feels fresh to you when it's finished. That's, it doesn't happen very often, but it's, I think that's some of the, the more interesting works that you'll come out with, you know. Yeah, when you're still excited about it, you know, months into it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas we've all written stuff where it's like, yeah, I don't want to hear that again. Exactly. And, and it's annoying, right? We, remember when I mentioned, Robert, when, when you kindly gave me a copy of the your album on vinyl and I told you which track was my favourite and you were like, it's interesting that everyone has a different favourite. And I don't know about you, but I just used to have so much on, you know, that's going to be the AA, you know, and then the record label or you know people who listen to your music are like no we want the b-side as the a-side and so yeah it's interesting that what we see as wow that's going to be the one that really people you know take off and 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 it's usually the opposite right? and, and you can and you can never really know like i mean yeah there's, there's certain kind of rules around like what what will make a good radio yeah. single do you know what i mean you got the like the and does that always apply do you think most of the time well, like, I mean, I, I'm not the best person to, to kind of talk about radio these days because I like the music that you generally hear on kind of commercial radio. It's like, I don't really understand. If, yeah, me like, too. But no, no, I mean, I'm not saying there's not qualities to it. There, there obviously is. People like it, but it's not like the music that I kind of grew up loving or something like that. So, I mean, for me, for example, if you drive around, like they have this thing here in Germany, where you have US Air Force bases and things like that, which have their own radio. And like I've heard a few times driving around where they do top 30 of the US charts from this particular year or something. You hear like the top 30 from like 1971 or 1966 and like, holy shit, like the entire like rundown of tracks are all like amazing. Amazing tracks. <laughs> amazing, yeah. do you yeah. know what I mean? And then if you compare it to say a top 30 today, and like I don't want to sound like an old foggy or whatever. <laughs> but do you think but it's no, an but, age thing? Because I know we're, no, you know, we've got it, a bit of mileage no, now. Not, not really, yeah, but it's just the, the kind of value of the song has been diminished in many respects. And like, the, and the, what's frustrating, I think, when I do listen to music nowadays is that it's it's hard to differentiate between 
the the vocalists. I mean, like if you listen to a top thirty charts now, or say five to ten of the songs, like I couldn't differentiate between them as artists. Do you know what I mean? Because I, whether it's the production methods or whatever, it's just yeah, it's all I mean, being processed in a way. I, where I can, it's taken the individuality away from a vocalist. Yeah, I mean, respects. there's a lot of. I know that's process. a very old fogey way of looking at no, it, but it's, I mean, for me, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm an old fogey. I'm, for people listening, I'm older than Robert, to be fair, <laughs> by quite a bit. But no, I, I mean, I was listening to stuff with Mira yesterday, and we were laughing because I love checking out the latest techniques. I never usually use them, you know, because for anyone listening, I make quite wonky music. It's not really very commercial, <laughs> I would say, but there's a lot of techniques where you're auto-tuning vocals and you're going between different octaves really quick and it's, it can sound like cats being strangled, you know, to an old fogey like me. And you know, it, if that's what people are digging, it's not for me to say what's right or wrong, right? But exactly. I know what you're saying. It's it's hard to stand out as an artist if everyone's using that same technique in the studio and that's become trendy. And there's certain genres, right, that definitely gravitate towards that. Whereas for you, what I love about your music, and it's not really a genre that I know very much about, if I'm honest. And over the years, actually, Robert's taught me a lot because I listen to quite a lot of different stuff, diverse stuff, classical music, electronic music, whatever. But the singer-songwriter stuff, the solo artist like you, which is very natural, you know, an electroacoustic at most, and maybe a reverb or a delay pedal, you know? But it's it's so natural that you come through as an artist. It's your, you know, it's that humanness, that organic bit that I can... Well, that's my favorite word in music, is organic. Yeah. Do you know, and that's, that's what, but, that, but that's, kind of what I was getting at in terms of just and listen I mean when I say you listen to the charts right now and like I mean this it's all kind of <laughs> yeah. ubiquitous kind of stuff that sounds the same but that's not the reality like I mean for the, the, there's so much incredible indie music out there course, like, yeah. uh, like music that's not in the top 30 hits and I mean people will always say that no matter what year it was I mean the best stuff is always yeah. the underground stuff or whatever but um it's it yeah, like, I mean, there's incredible music out there. Um, yeah, there's but then never that's been not, a But time, that's not right? what's been smashed on the radio, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, for people listening, that's the point we're getting. We're not two old fogies saying everything's rubbish and we've, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe exactly. it's a generational thing. But as Robert said, that there's so much good music. If you're willing to look at the underground and indie side of things, I mean, there's so much good resources. And because... I mean, I guess COVID accelerated a bit. I got to learn, probably like yourself, Robert, that I was like, wow, I've never heard this band. I want to hear more of this. And, and they're just not commercially out there. But I'm hoping that, uh, that I'm hoping that there are some changes. I wanted to ask you, and this is quite a, a big one to ask, you know, because no, there's no short answer, but how do you see the music industry now after COVID? Because Robert and I, the backstory, we talk about this a lot, right? You know, the state of the industry and not from a negative state. We're just like, you know, genuinely interested in pushing the envelope. How can things improve? How can artists get better support? I mean, your label that you're signed to now, what I was impressed with, Robert, and again, I'm still learning about it, and what's the label called? Meisel. Oh, well, for this, uh, yeah. no, for, oh, well, that's the uh, the publishing company is yeah. Meisel Music. Um, Meisel Music Verlag, yeah. and then the, the album was put out on Muso Records. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's very much, it, with, with uh, Muso, it's very much an indie setup, but it, I mean, it's the perfect kind of setup for what I needed right now, you know? And Meisel are kind of one of the oldest music publishers in the world. Like, it's like over 100 years old now. So it's kind of, um, 
Yeah, like I mean, in terms of the way the in, like, the industry is, I mean, it's there's I think there's a lot of reason to be very very optimistic about music because I mean, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, it's kind of on the negative side of things. At the, at the same time, what's great is that there's never been a better time for musicians to be able to put out quality recordings because, I mean. Just the, the technological advances in terms of being able to record yourself at home or else do it in a small studio and, and have it sound better than kind of top records that were coming out in the early 90s or whatever, that's possible now. And so, I mean, it, it's kind of democratized music in many respects. And obviously, the, the release process with the online thing is like, I mean, streaming is here to stay, like whether people like it or not. Yeah. It just around the financial side of it I mean that's like an entire podcast in itself <laughs> yeah, and so there's definitely. no point going into it but like it's kind of um, like I think there's a lot of reasons to be very optimistic but I, I, like it, smaller artists it's always going to be a struggle it always has been a struggle and so like I, that's not going to change in many respects <laughs> and so I think what's interesting is just how labels deal with music moving forward like um, I suppose the problem is that like um, a lot of the major labels maybe have like streaming platforms in a kind of a chokehold or whatever and so that's kind of perhaps um, hoarding all the cheddar <laughs> to a degree but I mean yeah like what, what, it is how it is and it's just you kind of have to you have to be adaptable I guess and like I mean I'm I'm adaptable but not nowhere near as much as some of the younger people mm. I mean I like I'm a dinosaur when it comes to a lot of the way to deal with the advances <laughs> and the online thing and like tickety-tock and all that <laughs> Do you know what I mean it's, it's like I'm not I'm not very well versed in these kind of things and so like I'm probably not the best person to, to kind of um, say how it's going to go because new things are popping up all of the time I mean like just the advancement is accelerating in terms of the the methods means and like ways of doing things in music and distribution and all that so it's like who knows what it's going to be like two years from now let alone kind of 10 years from now you know yeah i mean technology is definitely an enabler right but it's it's humans who are in control of that technology that sometimes it slips but it, from what i'm hearing and you know not just yourself and chatting to artists that we you know always check in with what they found in the labels that they're on are present and because again they're a bit older you know they're more mature they've got a bit more mileage they were looking for community they were looking for a family they were looking for support and they were looking for that you know a bit of a loving kick up the arse because correct me if i'm wrong a lot of the labels in the past where it went wrong or this is what i see in the industry getting quite toxic is that you would you know get a red carpet treatment oh please you know we're great to sign your your, you know, your EP or album, and then there'd be absolutely no follow-up. They wouldn't really promote it, and then you'd be like, why? Why would you bother? And that's the thing. It's like the labels that I see have got legs. The ones that are all still here, you know, the the labels that have, I can see they'll probably always be here, not because they were ruthless or they were great at business. They just looked after each other really well, and it was more of a community, a family, and they just actually did such a good job of presenting and curating their artists that that for me has legs, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, the label will always have a place as long as they're willing to kind of adapt and do things morally <laughs> I mean the, the, it's, it's not as if I mean people will always say it's like the music industry is like shit or whatever but that's always been the case I mean I know even back in the days when I was starting early like I knew of bands in Ireland and like heard of bands in the UK like I know one band in Ireland 
who um, I won't name them, but uh, I, I like um, they made a record for like close to half a million pounds sterling through uh, like I can't remember one of the major labels in in, in England, and um, it, it, they made this record and it was never released ever. So they made this incredible album that never saw the light of day, and the the label ended up writing it off as a tax loss, mm. and so. The, the band made this amazing album that sounded like out of this world and then they weren't ever allowed to release it and they would be sued if they even like got somebody to play it on the radio themselves or something like that. I mean, that's that's poisonous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's so like off, like uh, that's beyond the realms of kind of um, anything moral. <laughs> I mean, and I was reading an article that is like a large... I think she's a British artist. I can't remember her name, unfortunately, now. But like, she was is with the label Polydor, so or the, I can't remember who it is. But um, yeah, but like, she made this record in 2013, and they still won't let her release it. You know, it's kind of yeah. I don't know what that is sitting on stuff, and then yeah, we're just not going to release it. But you can't release it to the world, even though it's yours as an artist, right? But that this is when yeah. things become financial decisions as yeah. opposed to creative. Like I mean, labels are always going to be corporations at the end of, of the day. But yeah. but then, as like Frank Zappa said back in his day, like he preferred like having an accountant running his affairs at the label than <laughs> yeah. kind of a hippie musician, as he called it, because he said that guy might have like screwed up ideas about where the thing should go, whereby the other person just looks at it, does this work, does this not work financially, you know? So there's there's different viewpoints yeah. when it comes to it. Um, and, and like every viewpoint has its own valid aspects to it, you know? I, I can't say what works and what doesn't. I've never been signed to a major label, <laughs> so like I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So like I mean, I can't argue the, yeah. the benefits. I mean, of controversially, the... it doesn't seem like there's any point nowadays. But again, this is just from experience and people that we speak to, right? And again, for people listening, there is no right or wrong. We're not dictating here, right? We're just reflecting to dare I say more mature books now talking about no, no. Just, he says it as you see it do you know yeah. what I mean it's like I have my viewpoints on things that the majority of the time they're probably wrong <laughs> you know, I'm willing to be wrong that's the cool yeah. thing because I, I don't know about you but I, I quite I mean okay it's a bit uncomfortable but I love being proved wrong especially when it comes to the industry because we can get a bit like oh you know it's all doom and gloom but you hit the nail on the head the music industry has always been a challenge, just like any creative industry. I mean, even in the days of Mozart, mm. I mean, it was really tough. And that's never changed. Well, he died it's, a pauper. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I and mean? In fact, so we, we, cool. Yeah, I mean, most artists don't become popular until they've actually died, which is not cool. But, you know, that's how it's always been. A yeah, bit. Like, um, but I suppose back in those days, it was kind of, it was mainly about, um, what's the word I'm looking for, where you had um, a financial backer, uh, oh. The word escapes me. Or... Yeah, but there's another word for I, my English has escaped me. <laughs> no, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was a system back then where you just had like private people who were like, backing like musicians or composers to do their thing. And I mean, that still happens a lot within classical music now. I know like you have benefactors who purchase like mm. instruments that are obviously on unobtainable by a normal like uh, say violinist or a cellist or something like that so you do have benefactors who will like pay for the instruments that are of like top quality and stuff because like uh, a top violin isn't the same as buying an electric guitar you know you're talking hundreds of thousands like and and upwards so it's kind of yeah that that 
that's there, but that, like, I mean, there's so many varying aspects of the music industry, like across the board from just rock, pop, whatever, classical. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's no one ways and means about things, and so. And yeah, and we could definitely. All you can do is keep slogging and put music out there, and if people like, great. If not, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to move on. <laughs> yeah, and if this was an episode just about the state of the industry, we'd be here for days. Exactly. Not, not just hours, right? I know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll change direction now. So. I'm curious, what, what's next for Robert John Hope? I know you've got some exciting gigs because now, well, any gig's exciting yeah. nowadays. Yeah, just, yeah, just exactly. a novelty. Any, any yeah. gig is, is great now, obviously, after this period of time. But yeah, no, I mean, just record a new record, which is um, the nerve-wracking thing. And like this, I mean, I just want to see how that goes and just keep slogging away and playing gigs and keep putting music out there, promote the current album as much as I can and um, yeah, I mean it's, it's at the end of the day it's the same it, it, it's all about gaining listeners and people who genuinely like your music, if people don't like my music I don't have a problem with that, that's no problem at all like people aren't obliged to like mm. what you do but like what you're trying to do is obviously reach the people who might like what you do and so that's, I mean it's it's as simple as that really the, the the means about it I'm still learning because I'm I'm not like I, I I'm I'm you have like say 21 year olds now who know the ins and outs of everything with regard to the internet and how to reach the the most people like I'm not that person unfortunately and so I'm still learning all that but that's the kind of that's the game as it is now and so we all have to learn it you know but and for me moving forward that's what I'm gonna have to do is try and uh, exploit the game as it is currently to find people who enjoy my music yeah. yeah and what i'm hearing it just means you have to just stay curious right exactly but that's easy for a creative right or any anyone who's crafted something because if you're curious then you're obviously going to learn new things new yeah. skills you're going to get downloads of new information and i mean i don't know about you robert i don't want to know everything it, 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 I couldn't fill my head with that. There's not enough space upstairs left to fill with, you know, the marketed side of it, the, all of the digital stuff. And actually, it's better to outsource a lot of this stuff. So if you find someone younger who's sussed that out, you know, you can collaborate and yeah. no one person knows everything, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's too much stress trying to even get that far, right? Yeah, like, I mean, I mean my, my hat's off to, like, people who really kind of use the internet and, like, all the various kind of... Um, aspects of the internet to the best of their abilities and like gain enormous followings now i mean that's it's an incredible thing really and so i mean it's it's as i said before it's the kind of music has been democratized in, in a certain way and which is a great thing it means that you don't have to be signed to a label that'll spend millions on making music videos and doing all this to get you to a certain place like i mean there's positives and negatives to everything so it's just about mm. kind of traversing it all and trying do as much as you can and at the end of the day like I'm like kind of as you said I'm doing music for me now like as much as anything else and if people like it and want to kind of like follow it or whatever that's amazing but I mean yeah like uh, you can only do what you can do <laughs> do do you know what I mean I'm not going to radically change like the way I'm doing things just to fit a certain like to try and get 10,000 extra followers or something like this this I mean, that's just not me, so... But that just sounds like you're comfortable where you're at. And again, that comes from experience. The last thing I want to ask you, Robert, is um, any anything makes sense to share with the listeners? Any part in wisdom? 
um, wisdom. <laughs> I don't think. So. No, like I, I mean, if it's just be yourself. You know what I mean? It's funny enough because one of my favorite quotes, and you actually sent it to me there a couple of weeks ago as well, which brought it back to me. It was like Oscar Wilde's is like, oh, yeah. just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. So I mean. I know it's cheesy, but at the same time, it makes a lot of sense. If like, if you're trying to be something you're not, mm. then what's the point? I mean, say if you look at David Bowie, mm. uh, people would say, but he was doing something that he's not. I would like Ziggy or whatever. But I mean, that is that was David Bowie. That was his personality. To being able to, he was the chameleon. Do you know what I mean? That was him. But like, if that's not you, that's like I'm not going to <laughs> like dress up in a certain way or whatever because it's just it's I don't feel comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable, and then I'm not enjoying it. And like the reason I'm playing music is to enjoy it. Yeah. And so I have to be myself because I'm not capable of this at this stage of being anybody else. Yeah, but that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I I don't think it's a cheesy quote, and as you know, I do share it quite often because we all try and be someone else. And it's like wearing someone else's wonky, stinky trainers. You know, it doesn't quite work. And, you know, we have to try that when we're younger. It all comes with experience. But the, the thing that really resonates with your listeners and, you know, when you're doing the show is when you just show up and you're comfortable being you, right? Yeah. That's the most powerful thing any artist can develop is just more of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I mean, say at live gigs or whatever, I mean, I like talk, I, I don't prepare much, unfortunately for, I know some artists like prepare like everything that they're going to say between songs or whatever, I generally don't at all. And sometimes it goes better than other times, but yeah, like, I mean, I like to chat to the crowd and just like talk nonsense. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I think people will get more of a sense of your personality if you do that than if you have a script you're working off. Yeah, I mean, I think you've been a bit harsh. I mean, you know, I've been to quite a lot of your gigs. You just show up and it just occurs in the moment, I'm going to share this. And I think that's what, sh it's authentic. You can't fake that. Mm. You know, and, and yeah, sometimes you're nervous, sometimes you're thinking, oh, why did I say that? But that's okay too, right? And you learn from that as an artist, and sometimes you're like, "Yeah, I wish I hadn't said anything," but it, it it's okay. Yeah. You know, no one's gonna judge you for being an artist. They'll be like, "Whatever." You know, people are just waiting for you to do your craft, and if you f fill in the gaps by sharing what makes sense in the moment, so be it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Robert. This uh, has been yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. You made it to the end of this episode, and we appreciate that, so thank you. If you're looking for coaching, want to develop your leadership skills, improve your team's performance, get more creative, or strengthen your business relationships, please check our website, www.themindtakeaway.com, or drop us an email, info at themindtakeaway.com, for more details. We would love to hear from you.